Well, um, those of you know, that's my lovely wife back there. I, didn't, I didn't, hadn't counted on her being in here for this part uh, of the message. But we've been married for, what, almost seven years now, right? Together for uh, almost nine years. And that's us when we uh, first, first got together back in the day. And as I was reflecting on this new series that we're starting today, I just kind of started thinking about the story of how we met. Now, I'll just say for the record that if you ask her, it might be a little different. <laughs> And as you hear my story, you'll find that her account, you know, is not very trustworthy just because of the flustered state she was in when she first saw me. So I'll cut to the chase. So I forget where, I think it was at some ice cream shop, a couple of friends of our, uh, and I were getting together. So um, I went over there to meet some friends. So when I got there, you know, she was there. And I saw her from across the room and I thought, man, this girl's pretty cute, you know. She's pretty cute, but I, I didn't think much else of it. I sort of made my, my rounds. But when her eyes saw me, I mean, they got like two or three times big, like a cartoon, you know. Like she had seen her favorite movie star or something like that. That was similar to how it was. So I, 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 I noticed her noticing me, so I sort of made my way over there. And as I got closer, I saw her sort of mouthing to her friends, he's coming, you know, he's coming, he's coming. So I thought, wow, this is unusual. But I was used to that type of reaction at this point. <laughs> so I simply walk up to her and I say, hey, baby. Whoa. I said, hey, I, <laughs> I said, hey, baby, you, you want to hang out? That's all I said to her. And she sort of, yes, you know? I said, great, she's, she's a stammerer. She has a stutter, but so we can work on that. So the rest is history. A little while later, we got married, and that's it. Now, if you ask her, she might tell you a different story. And I'll admit to you that there are portions of the story that were slightly embellished. But the long and short of it is, when I met her, I thought, man, this girl is something special. This girl, so as we got to know each other, we spent a lot of time together, a lot of uh, late nights just talking and get to get, getting to know one another. I, I thought, man, this, this could possibly work. But at the same time, there were a lot of communication issues, among other things. And at times I thought, man, is this, man, can I marry this one? We're so incompatible in certain areas, particularly as it related to communication. So I talked to a guy that I trusted. He said, listen, it's not a you and Shannon thing. It's a guy-girl thing. Trust me, it's not insurmountable. It's a challenge, but you can do this. So shortly after that conversation, I came to this conclusion. I can spend the rest of my life with this woman. She's awesome. She's fantastic. I can spend the rest of my life with this woman, but she needs some work. But she needs some work, right? And to be fair, I'm sure that she would even tell you now that that's not only what she thought about me, but that's what she thinks now. So I thought, you know what, in a year or two, I can have this, this woman, this fantastic woman, I can have her really whipped into shape. I can just treat her like a, a delicate piece of pottery on a wheel. I can work my magic, and about a year or two, she'll be, she'll be ready for me. Now, you can probably imagine how that turned out. Here we are, seven, almost seven years into marriage, and none of my craftiness, none of my cunningness, none of my sharp thinking has shaped her into anything by my design. Is it because I'm terrible at shaping clay? I don't think so. Proverbial clay? I don't think so. I think the reason that nothing's worked is because we weren't designed to fix other people. We weren't designed to fix other people. And in many scenarios I've learned this, but especially in my marriage, I've learned the surprising importance, the great challenge, the great significance 
of working on me. Working on me. My grand plans of fixing her and shaping her and molding her into who I want to be has failed miserably, mainly because she already has a creator. She's already on somebody else's potter's wheel, and that's her creator. Far be it for me to, 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 to nudge the Lord Almighty out of the way to make her into what I want to be. And the Lord has shown me the profound significance, the profound necessity of working on me, working on me. I have, the, uh, I have the great privilege this morning of beginning a new series this morning that I'm simply calling Marriage, Relationships, and the Family. Marriage, Relationships, and the Family. And this series is specifically designed to deal with everything from friendships to singleness to dating and marriage, raising kids, all those things in between, everything that deals with relationships, everything that's important to social relationships. And this morning, I wanted to start at a very important part of all relationships, and that is marriage. I start with marriage because who we are today and who we will be in the future is profoundly shaped by the family to which we belong. I'll say that again. Who we are today, who we will be in the future, is profoundly shaped by the family to which we belong. Our parents, their parents, their parents' parents, your extended family, your immediate family, who you are is immediately impacted by the family to which you were born in. And I look at myself today in the mirror, proverbial mirror, and I see the good things, I see the bad things, especially the ugly things, and somehow or other, I can trace them back to my family line. Because who my family is, is very important. I was most significantly, significantly impacted by my parents and their marriage relationship that they had. How I treat my wife, how I view marriage and commitment, all those sorts of things have been drastically shaped by the family to which I was born. And everybody that is connected to you, your other relationships, your work relationships, your school relationships, your family relationships, and even your account, casual encounters um, are significantly, significantly impacted by your character makeup, who you are. So that puts relationships of all sorts at center stage. If you are jacked up, your marriage is probably going to be jacked up. If you are jacked up, then your social interactions will be jacked up. Your friendships, even the casual encounters, how you relate to the woman across the counter at the Starbucks is directly related to who you are, which goes all the way back to who your folks was and who their folks was and who their folks was. So what's the thinking here? What's the logic? If we can get you to work on you, if we can get you to work on your marriage, then guess what? Our kids had a fantastic uh, opportunity to be contributing members of society. Our children and their children's children and their children's children and all the people that are connected to them have a fighting chance of contributing to this world as God intended it. And this, this series is not designed to help you figure out how to fix somebody else. This series is not designed to help you figure out how to fix somebody else. I want to, as your pastor, relieve you of that burden that you've been saddled with for all these years. When I look at the scriptures, the scriptures are full of stuff about working on Gino, working on me, right? Paul doesn't say in Philippians, hey, work out somebody else's salvation with fear and trembling. No, he says work out your own. 
Jesus encourages us to get the log out of our own eye before we start working on splinter or the, the dust that's in somebody else's eye. Jesus uh, encourages us to consider others, to be considered of others over ourselves. So in short, what is Jesus saying? What are the scriptures pointing to? The scriptures are pointing to the importance of working on you. And we start this series with a pair of messages geared toward the individual man and the individual woman. And today I've just entitled this message, What Men Wish Women Knew. What men wish women knew. My father used to say to me, son, understanding is the best thing in the world. And that, that phrase grew trite over the years because he would say it so much. But now I realize how profoundly true it is. The things that I don't know, particularly the things that I thought I knew but I don't know, have hurt me in unexplainable ways. Profound ways. So what I've been doing for the last six, seven years is trying to seek some understanding. Lord, help me deal with this beautiful yet complicated woman that you've given me. Help me understand this fantastic yet complex and challenging being that you've given me. And if you're wise, ladies, you would say, Lord, help me to understand this man that you've given me. Help me to understand how he's wired. Help me decode this gentleman so that we can get along together and be harmonious like you designed this thing to be. So this week, I'm, discuss, I'm talking specifically to the ladies. This is a very pointed message. This is, this, I don't, I'm pulling punches here. I'm going to be very bold and on record. And I just want you to love me afterwards, pretty much. Because this is, I'm giving you information. Now, gentlemen, please tread lightly. I'm giving you information, as David said, and not uh, ammunition. Your turn is next week. So how you, how you walk with this information, how you parade it around in your house, well, you'll probably get that back next week when we deal specifically with you. But today, I'm talking to the ladies, and I'm giving you some information, giving you some understanding, particularly what men wish women knew. And I'm citing as sources some fantastic resources that have been, that have been recommended to me. Uh, I realize that I'm a young preacher. I realize that I'm a young married man and that there's a world of information that I don't know. So there's, it's, it's with great humility that I proceed with this sermon series, especially this message today. And I've tapped the minds of some of my trusted friends who've been married far, the, far longer than me, who've been pastoring far longer than me, and I trust that they've steered me in the right direction. I trust also that even though some of this information may be difficult to hear, may be challenging to you, that it will ring true in your hearts, because we all have a measure of God's Holy Spirit. I've used uh, for this sermon series uh, a couple of resources that I want to bless somebody with today because I found these so helpful. So I have a book here, His Needs, Her Needs. And I'm going to give this to the couple who's been married for the shortest amount of time. Who would that be? That's you. Do you have this book, by the way? You don't. So God bless you. You can pass that back. Now what I have here is a book called Love and Respect and the accompanying leather bound. This is really nice. I thought about keeping this. Leather-bound devotional. It's a husband-friendly devotional. Many husbands complain that the marriage devotionals are pretty lame and uninspiring to them. So I've paired this book with this book, and I'm going to give this to the person who um, is... Is there anybody engaged that's not married yet? Somebody who's engaged? There's nobody engaged in here. Tommy, okay. This is for you, sir. Tommy? 
Thank you very much. So those are fantastic resources. Love and respect. I put those up there so you can, they're also printed in your books bulletin. These are fantastic resources. They they put things so plainly. And I wish I would have had these books several years ago as I was beginning my marriage. But let me pray before I begin our time here today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all of these families that you've gathered here, Lord. We're from so many different backgrounds, some broken, some functional, some dysfunctional, Lord. But that doesn't matter today. You're speaking to all of us today. You're speaking to us, Lord. You're causing us to deal with our own issues. You're calling us to deal with ourselves because you know the beauty and the bounty of a functional, healthy family. You know what that produces. So, Lord, I just pray today that by your spirit, you would speak to us, speak to us directly, Lord, speak to us in terms that we can hear and understand and receive. Lord, I pray that you would just move me out of the way this morning, that your love and your truth might shine through. Would you make your word clear, illuminate the scriptures to us this morning? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk this morning about three important categories. Now, understand, you'll specifically understand this as you read the books, that there are many different facets of, uh, you know, information, particularly what men need to understand about women and what women need to understand about men. But I'm going to deal with three very important categories, one that are particularly uh, important to me and one that seemed to be important to the men that I, uh, I'm in fellowship with. I'm just going to deal with three specific categories today. And the first one, I'm going to talk about what men wish women knew about respect. What men wish women knew about respect. And this is, this is a big one. Understanding this, ladies, will help you in just about every relationship that you have with a man, whether it's at work whether it's in the classroom, whether it's friendships, but especially at home, men are wired to need, to crave, to function well when they feel respected. And respect is simply a feeling of deep admiration for someone, usually given their abilities, qualities, or achievements. A definition that I like better is due regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, and tradition of others. I love that word regard. It speaks of being considerate. It speaks of caring about them. It speaks of understanding, trying to work to understand who they are, where they're coming from, trying to get on the same side of the table uh, as them so that you can see things from their vantage point. Do regard for how they feel, how they think, their traditions, their rights. And I think failure to show an adequate, de- adequate degree of respect to your husband, ladies, will really mess with your longevity as a couple, as a, as a happily married couple. I'll say that again. Failure to show a due measure of respect to your husband will really mess with your longevity. You say, what do you mean by longevity? I think God's plan for us, I don't think, I know God's plan for marriage is forever. His plan for marriage is for life. In other words, until you or both of you are lowered to, uh, to the ground in a box, his plan is that you spend together, uh, life together with one another. And that's a long time. Forever is a long time if you're unhappy. Forever is a long time if you're feeling looked over or disregarded or disrespected. And I'm telling you today that longevity is, is, is achieved in a marriage when women show respect to their husbands. And I've decided, just as a married man, that I'm going to try to root everything out of my life, everything out of my marriage that messes around with my longevity as a couple. I take it seriously that this woman is for me forever. 
and I want to root everything out of my life that complicates that, and you should do the same thing. In many ways, respect women is more important than sex. I know that's hard um, to, 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 to consider, hard to fathom. It's even kind of hard to say, but it's more important than sex. And I know what you might be thinking right now. You're thinking, Pastor, what if he doesn't deserve it? I'm wired to, to give respect to people who deserve it. You earn respect. Respect is something that you earn. I just don't hand it out as if it came cheap. And I think God understood that that would be a natural reaction for us, which is why he gave us this command in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 says this, So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What a short yet profound command. Paul is saying here that each husband must love his wife, not just casually, but love that woman as you love yourself. Treat her as important as you, as you, as you treat yourself. And he, he says also to the wife, the wife must respect her husband. Now, notice, friends, that there's nothing conditional about these statements. All right? He doesn't say to the husband, listen, if you feel respected, if that woman is submitting to you in the way she should, if you feel like a man when you go in that house, then you love that woman. By all means, love her because she's respecting you. She didn't say to that woman, listen, listen, you respect that man as long as you feel loved by his words. If he can charm you, if he can caress you with his words, if he's gentle with you as he, dis- as he discusses his day, if he's the man you always wanted, then by all means, you show that man some respect. Far from it, what this passage speaks of, what God expects from us, is unconditional love toward our spouses, men, and unconditional respect toward our husbands for the women. So it doesn't matter if 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 he deserves it. It certainly helps, doesn't it? But it does not matter. And some of you may, you know, grimace at that thought, but I, you know, I'm glad I didn't write this stuff. Why does the Lord give us this very difficult command? And I think it's appropriate to label it as a difficult command because he knows that without it, without respect and without love, I'm talking to the ladies today, so I'm talking about respect, without respect, we will destroy ourselves and the spouses that God gave us. Without respect for your husband, you will destroy him and in turn, you will destroy your marriage. In that fantastic book that I just gave away, Love and Respect, the author puts it this way, and I think it's rather plain uh, when, when I read it. He puts it this way. When men get respect from their wife, it's easier for them to, to, to be loving. So in other words, the woman get what she really needs, what she really craves, which I'll talk about next week, that love, feeling loved, being dealt with delicately, knowing that that man really loves her. She really gets that. It's easier for that man to dispense that when he feels respected and vice versa. So what do you think happens when respect is not given? What do you think when the man is being dealt with disrespectfully, harshly, with disregard for his rights, his feelings, right? It's hard for that guy to be loving. His natural reaction is to push harder, to be firmer, to be crude, to be uh, uh, unloving, uncaring, to be callous and coarse. It's what the author calls the crazy cycle. Well, I'm not going to respect you. Well, I'm not going to love you. And uh, around and round and round and round it goes. 
So God gives us this command because he knows that without it, we will wreck ourselves. And he knows more importantly that that man that he gave you, and yes, regardless of what you think of that man, regardless of how unimpressed you are with him, regardless of how angry and how maddening he is, regardless of the fact that he doesn't pick up his stuff and he doesn't really know how to talk to you yet, God wired that man to be respected. And since he gave you that man, your job, ladies, your job is to respect him unconditionally. I didn't expect too many amens on that one. <laughs> unconditionally. And ladies, what you need to know about respect is first starts with something you need to know about us. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here, a little transparent, is that we are extremely fragile beings. Amen. Listen, forget the axe body spray and the one-arm push-ups, okay? And the P90X DVDs and all that gruffness and all that bravado and all that fakeness. Forget that. The male ego is more fragile than a broken egg, not even a one that's intact. The male ego is fragile. We are such fragile, insecure beings. And I wonder, Lord, listen, why did you make us that way? Why did you make us that way? You want us to be the leader? You want us to be out front? Why did you make us, why did you make us that way? And I think the Lord made us that way so that we would rely on this fantastic woman that he's given us to build us up, to complete us in that way to affirm us and to make us feel loved and make us feel respected. We're extremely fragile beings. We are hardwired. And I think as a, as a part of our fallen humanity, we're hardwired to, be, to, to have this burden to want to be important to you. We bear this tremendous burden of not just being your man. We want to be, we want to be the man. In your dictionary, when you thumb to the entry for man, we want you to have a picture of us taped in there. We don't want you to fear anything because you've got us on your arm. We're wired that way. We're wired to feel that way. We're wired to have this burden, and I think oftentimes it's an unhealthy burden of being the provider. We're wired to want to be the protector. We're wired, ladies, to be, to be the air you breathe, the thing or the person that you're thinking about when we are away. And wives, you should understand that you cannot. It's impossible for you to release your husbands from this burden. It's impossible. But a friend of mine says that you can relieve it through a healthy dose of appreciation, encouragement, and support. Appreciation, encouragement, and support Wives, your husband needs to be respected. Wives, it is your job to respect your husband. And let me say this, ladies, because I know we have a lot of things. I know you have a lot of things working against you. Perhaps you grew up in a home where your mother wore the pants. I say, I say that Expression loosely. Let me let me define that more. Where your mother was sort of in charge of things. You perhaps had a dysfunctional uh, uh, parent or family structure, and you didn't see respect being modeled, lived out. 
And so your father perhaps was more passive and your mother was more assertive. And because of that passivity, she had to step up so things can get done. And unfortunately, that was your motto. Some of you have it working against you that you didn't grow up with a father in your home or a stable father in your home or a father that you respected. And because of that, you didn't learn. You didn't see it modeled to be submissive. You didn't see it modeled to be respectful. So every chance you get, you speak in your mind. Every chance you get, you're telling somebody else. Every chance you get, you're just flying off the handle. And I'm here to tell you that you're doing more harm than good. I'm here to tell you that you're being disobedient to the Lord. I'm here to tell you that the model that you saw, what you experienced, is not worthy of being duplicated. And if you don't want to take this preacher's word for it, look around the room of your life, look around the room of your marriage, and tell me how it's working out. Tell me how it's working out. Tell me deep down you don't crave a strong, godly man to take charge in that home and to be the, to be the person that you, ex- you expect him to be. Tell me deep down when you see a godly man that's treating his wife with love and that garners the respect of his wife. Tell me that deep within yourself you don't crave that. You don't, you don't want that. Tell me that doesn't look healthy. Tell me that doesn't look whole. Tell me that doesn't look appealing. I know it does. But few of you pursue it because it's hard. It's hard to show appreciation for a man that you don't appreciate. It's hard to be encouraging to a person that you're perceiving is screwing up all the time or dropping the ball all the time or have fallen short of your, your, your ideal sort of what you thought it would be. It's hard to show, it's hard to encourage a man like that. It's hard to encourage a guy who you think is lazy and unmotivated. It's hard to support a guy who you think, I've been supporting this, this dude for my whole life, our whole life together. It's hard to support It's hard to be encouraged. It's hard to have appreciation. But like I said last week, God didn't call us to do what's easy. He didn't say only do the stuff that you want to do. He didn't say only do the stuff that's easy, that comes comes natural to you. No, he says use my playbook because this stuff works. He says use the schematic because I drew it up and this is what works. Husbands need Respect. And friends, respect isn't just a sort of passive, okay, all right, I'm not going to argue with you. Respect plays out, in my opinion, in three very specific ways. Respect him with, 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 with your words. Communication. And this is too large a subject to tackle right now. We'll tackle it later in the series. But, you know, you got to respect a man with how you, how you talk. I don't know a man in this world that is energized by some woman sassing him or talking meanly to him. Ask yourself, do you appreciate that? When somebody's just mouthing off to you and being undisciplined in their speech, do you appreciate that? Does that build you up? Does that make you feel encouraged? Does that make you want to come home? With your words. James tells us, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. That disqualifies a lot. That disqualifies the sarcasm, the cutting remarks that we've gotten so good at. The things that we say in passing. The way we pull up his past and the way we pull up how you just like your daddy. You're never going to be anything. I knew you would do this again. You always do. Listen, the Lord says cut it out. It's messing with your longevity. 
It's complicating things in a way that will break you apart, if not physically, but emotionally in your heart. Men need respect. He needs you to respect him with your words, how you communicate, how you talk to him. He's a fragile being, I told you. He's a delicate man. He won't tell you. I'm telling you for him. He's easily broken. You may not know it, but he's sitting next to you, and he's broken. And part of it is how you've disrespected him with your words. You've cut him to the quick over and over and over again, and he's too macho to tell you that that hurts. He's too macho to tell you that his feelings are hurt. Too much of a man, you know, he's been watching too much of the A-team or something to tell you that that really hurt my feelings. Can you not say that? Don't compare me to my father. I'm not what you say I am. I'm trying really hard. I'm broken inside because of your words. He won't say that. He should. Hopefully he will next week. But that man is fragile and he needs you to respect him with your words. Another very important way that you need to show respect to your husband is through your disposition. Through your disposition. Through your disposition. Your body language. If I ask you for a dollar and you say yes, but your head's doing this, guess what my mind's saying? I better ask somebody else. Because our body language, our demeanor, what we say without saying stuff, man, it communicates far more than our words can say. And when I'm looking in your face and you have disgust in your face, when you're annoyed in your face, when your body language is uninterested, when you've checked out, your neck's moving like this and you're giving off attitude, you're giving off disrespect. Listen, that tears us down. Remember, ladies, we're going to get to us next week. So I don't want you to feel beat up on or put up on today, but this is stuff you need to know. This is what we wish that you had know, wish you knew as you interact with us, as we work together in marriage. Respect with your disposition. And last week, we need respect with your deeds, with, with your actions, who you are every day to us, how you tend to us, how you approach us, how you care for us. Listen, man, we, we need that. We need that. And need I remind you, it's your job. I'm going to say something now that might get my tires slashed. Satan has prepared somebody who will be glad to respect your husband for you. David, check, check that window, man. <laughs> Lock those doors back there. Now, let me just say up front, it's our, it's our job as men to be obedient to the Lord. I don't care who you are, lady. My wife can turn into the biggest, I don't know, that... Whatever. My job is to love her and, to, and to, 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 to treat her as my one and only wife forever and ever and ever and ever. just want to get that out of the way. But Satan has prepared somebody who will respect your husband like he'd never been respected before. You know, I don't know why your wife doesn't treat you better. You're, you're awesome. You know, you're fantastic. I, I don't get her. She must be out to lunch. You want to go to lunch? <laughs> Speaking of lunch, you know, 
I made some cookies at home, you know. Satan has prepared somebody who who will do this for you. And my admonishment to you as it relates to respect and anything else we talk about is do your job. Do your job. Do your job. Go to sleep and wake up and do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. Do your job. Close the door that the enemy's trying to pry open. Close it. Now, this subject of respect is more involved than that. That's why I recommend the resources. And I recommend you spend some time in your small groups and in your mini groups discussing this. Uh, but we do have to move on. But disrespect is a huge issue. What I want you to know is men need respect and all that comes along with that. I want to continue by talking to you about what men wish women knew about sex and romance. What men wish women knew about sex and romance. The first thing you should know, ladies, is that this is a really big deal to us. Can I get it? Okay. I thought I was alone in here today. Don't fall asleep on me now. This is getting good. This is a really big deal to us. And I think to get this wrong, to get this wrong, really messes with your longevity as a couple, as a happily married couple. It has become increasingly clear to me that a lot of women, particularly a lot of Christian women, don't get this. And women, I want to speak very directly to you today. I want to speak very candidly to you today that this is a big deal, one that you cannot afford to drop the ball on. It's a huge deal. Sex and romance. Second thing you need to know is that men really struggle with visual temptation. Probably already noticed that, but I'm finding that women, uh, are, more women than I thought, are, are really kind of clueless in this regard. You know that men are visual beings, but you don't know to what extent they are visual beings. Very visual beings. I think we're wired to admire beauty. That's why we chose the wives, the beautiful wives that we've chosen. And I somehow thought, you know, in my naive Christian upbringing that once I had a sort of sexual outlet that, that would shut off that, you know, woman admiring part of my eyes. Guess what? It hasn't. It hasn't. We're very visual beings. And I'm, I'm, I'm told by trusted sources that women aren't as visually, uh, that the visual effects are not as important to women as they are to men. I, I, I buy that. But I speak from experience that we're visual beings. And I have to put a lot of things in the way to make sure that I don't stumble in that regard. There's a lot of roadblocks that I set up to make sure that that part of me isn't triggered in an unhealthy way. Ladies, if you're, if you're talking to me and you're wearing something revealing, if I'm not making eye contact with you, if I'm not looking at you, don't think that I dislike you. It's just that I'm protecting myself. And I'm trying to honor you. Okay? But we're visually stimulated. We struggle with visual temptation of all kinds. And because we are visual beings, I'm talking to all ladies right now, married or not, you should really watch what you wear. Ladies. I'm not saying this as your pastor so much as I'm saying it as a Christian brother. You should really watch what you wear. Now, we're not a legalistic church. 
We don't tell you, we don't hand out a handbook uh, of what you should wear. Now, if you're serving any ministry that operates up front, we, we do provide some guidelines and we do prohibit certain outfits or certain types of clothing. I make no apologies about that. But women, you got to watch what you wear. I see so many Christian women that are wearing things. I'm thinking, listen, you're making this real hard right now. You're making this really difficult right now. I'm trying to worship, you know. I'm trying to sing. And I'm just, I'm trying to keep my peripheral straight, you know. I'm thinking, were you thinking, Lord, this is really going to honor the Lord. This is really going to keep my Christian brothers in line when I walk out of the house with this. This outfit that I'm wearing is going to really be uh, admire modesty and, and, be, and be pleasing to the Lord. Listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just trying to inform you. I go to churches and I just see so many outfits that I think, listen, this is the hospital. It's like bringing crack in a hospital in, 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 into a, like a halfway house. All these brothers come in, they're trying to deal with their issues. Most of them, most of them dealing with sexual sin. Most of them having an issue with their eyes. And here are all the sisters parading in in the tight stuff and the low cut shirts. And I'm thinking, this is the hospital. This is the hospital. Women, please. What you need to know about us is that we're really, doesn't matter if the preacher, doesn't matter if it's the deacon, we all have eyes. And these eyes get us in trouble sometimes. Even though we're not acting on it out in this real world, there's a battlefield of the mind that is a constant source. It's a constant enemy. And I don't say this to scold you. I say this to encourage you and to inform you. Ladies, please watch what you wear. And since we're visual people, wives, you should understand that it's very important to us how you look. It's very important to us how you look. Now, again, I, I, I understand that this is, this is a minefield here, but I have to go here. Because I'm telling you what we wish that you knew about these subjects. We care about how you dress. We care how much time you spend uh, getting ready and that you take some time to, to make yourself look nice. We don't want you taking too much time now because we have to go places. <laughs> some of you only have one car. It matters how you look. Okay, it matters to us. And for fear of stepping on some landmines that I can't disarm, I'm going to leave it there. But as it relates to sex, men tend to need more sex than you need. uh, And you probably have wondered why this is such a mystery. Men have a strong desire to be desired by their wives. Now again, with the Rambo movies, we're wired not to tell you that. We're wired to just sort of stew and pout and, you know. But what we should tell you, what I'm telling you on their behalf, is that we desire to be desired and that there's something about that physical connection, there's something about that when we get together, man, that, that man, this woman is into me. And there's something that we're, something within us that's addicted to that. We want to be wanted. And regular fulfilling sex contribute to a man's sense of being loved and being desired. And he won't tell you, but he needs to be loved. And that's one of the main ways he discerns whether or not he's being loved. As broken as that is sometimes. 
That contributes to him feeling desired by the woman who God has given him, the woman who he's put all of his eggs in this basket. He wants to be desired. He wants to be loved. And so sex, as my pastor friend says, sex is more than sex. When, when, when men feel their wives desire them sexually, it gives them an increased sense of confidence and, and uh, a sense of well-being that distributes itself into virtually every aspect of their life. I'll say it again. Sex is more than sex. I know you just think he's a hound dog barking all the time, right? But it's more than that. It has a lot to do with the physical. We really like that component of it, the physical stuff, right? But sex is more than stuff. You know how you want to feel? You want to feel romance. You know how you want to feel like pursued? You know that strong, hardwiring ladies you feel to want to be just sort of pursued and loved on by your man? Well, that same feeling, only the male version of it, is produced when we feel desired and pursued and loved by our wives. Not only that, the world's just a little bit brighter. When, uh, when there's some action happening. The, let me say it again. The world's just a little bit brighter. The flowers grow just a little taller. The sun shines a little brighter. The moon hangs a little lower, right, when that, when that area is in full throttle. The psalmist says in, in the Psalms, you know, in your strength, O Lord, I can crush any army. With my God, I can scale any wall. And I just feel like that absolutely, aptly describes the feeling that I have when that department is being squared away. This feels good. I feel like I can do anything. Wait, what do you need me to do? You, you want me to pick up the house and move it over a few inches? Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> right here? Over a little bit? Listen, I can, take, I can take on the world when that department is being taken care of. Sex is more than sex. Sex is more than sex. I find it, frankly, hard to concentrate, ladies, after, you know, if it's been a day or two. I'm just being honest with you. He's like, Pastor, are you, are you listening to me? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in another place. I find it hard to concentrate, and that's not a joke. I'm thinking about my wife. I, I really enjoy regular interactions with my wife in that way. So sex is more than sex. It's such a compound, multi-layered thing. And woman, when you simply dismiss it as, oh, you're just such a dog, you just always want it, listen, it's more to it than that. Men are wired to want sex because that's the way they connect with you. That's the way they feel loved and desired. Not to mention the fact that it's our job. Why we keep going back to the fact that it's your job to take care of this stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll start at verse 3, I'll read it real quick, I don't think I have a slide for The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Boy, this says a mouthful, doesn't it? And I really, I really like this passage. I really like this passage. I think it puts it plainly. Listen, our bodies don't belong to us. And I know that's really countercultural. 
That's really against the whole, you know, the whole feminist thing, right? Our bodies don't belong to us. Our bodies belong to God, and we've given our bodies over to our spouse. That's a mutual exchange. That's a mutual exchange. This is, the Lord says, listen, don't deny your husband sex. Husbands, don't deny your wife sex. That's pretty plain, isn't it? But how often does it happen? How often is whether or not you uh, give your husband what he desperately needs, what he's wired to need, how often does it depend on your whims? What type of day you had? Whether or not you're, you know, into it. Whether or not you care to do it. Or some other uh, factor that may be a contributing factor, but, uh, you know, the scripture wins here. Again, this doesn't make us, you know, animals and doesn't make us, uh, it doesn't give us a license to be inconsiderate of the day that you've had or what's going on or if there's present conflict that needs to be resolved or something like that. Don't mishear me here. Don't mishear me. But the Lord says this, in your body, man, is not yours. Your body, woman, is not your own. This is so important. There's so many cracks and crevices that can give place to, to the enemy coming in with this, that you need not drop the ball on this because it's a big deal. You need not drop the ball on this because it's a big deal. And the list of excuses, the list of reasons are, are long. Too busy. Come on. Too busy. This is too important not to. It's too important not to sit down and have a conversation about it, to get, to get it on the schedule. It's too important. And ladies, I just want to remind you of all the things that pull on us in the world around us. All the little crevices and all the cracks that exist in our world that are complicated, that are profoundly complicated when that part of our uh, structured needs uh, are, are not being met. All the things that pull on us the accessibility of, of pornography, it's, it is, it's, it's amazing. It is astounding that at the click of a mouse, the world of pornography is open unto you. I'm talking about free stuff. Free stuff. And this guy, whatever he wants, if he likes a certain race, if he likes a certain sort of role playing, like all this sort of stuff, it's, it's, it's limitless. Millions of sites, millions of pictures to click on, millions of videos. I'm speaking to you from experience today. At the drop of a hat. And now he can do it on his phone, he can do it in his car, on the go. The stuff that pull on us. This is the real deal. Scantily clad women everywhere of all ages. Women are wearing absolutely nothing these days, especially in the warmer months. It's a constant battle to keep your eyes on the road, to keep your eyes in front of you. I can barely look at the woman that's waiting on me in the coffee shop because of what she's wearing. It makes me mad. This angers me than the world that I have to walk around in. It angers me that I'm attached to this one woman, this one beautiful woman who does nothing to love me, but all of this stuff is pulling on me on the outside world. It makes me mad. 
It makes me furious. Porn, the, the scantily clad women, these, these yoga pants that they wear now. You know what? These tight like leggings. Everybody's wearing these things. They should burn those. TV. I'm talking about standard TV. That young lady at the office. The girl at the gym. All these things that pull on us. And it's hard enough to resist these things when the romance is right at home. Hard to keep your mind straight when the, 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 the logs on the fire are warm at home. But let the enemy start to complicate the sexual relationship a man has with his wife. Let that man just start feeling repeatedly shut down and repeatedly shot down and repeatedly undesired and unloved. And just like I said about respect, listen, somebody is tailor-made by the enemy to do what you won't do. Somebody is tailor-made. And yes, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to you, we owe it to the Lord to be holy, to be set apart, to resist that temptation. But why even give the enemy a foothold there? Why even let him in? Why even let him in? And I go back to what I said earlier and what I'll keep saying, listen, do your job. So I tell my wife all the time. I have a wonderful wife, by the way. Takes care of me fantastically. But I say, baby, I think the secret to us making it, to surviving this thing, is that we keep doing our job. So, honey, if you walk away from me, it's just because you wanted something new. You wanted something different because you gave up on us. It isn't because I'm not interested in doing my job and figuring out how to do it better, how to make you feel loved and feel respected, to wine and dine you, to romance you, make you feel like, man, I got to get home to my husband. I said, baby, if you do your job, it'll be so, so much easier. And I say that in an encouraging way to her, not in a scolding way. I say that in an encouraging way. Listen, sex is a big deal on all fronts. It's one of the main things that Satan uses to, 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 to disqualify us for the kingdom of God. I look at all the newspaper articles of, of preachers, heads of state, and industry, who throw it all away. And you say, man, what were you thinking, dude? And then you see their wife and you go, this woman is beautiful. You, you, you traded that. I mean, it's, 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 it's confounding. But it's real. So you need to sit down and have a conversation about this. You need to work out a deal of some kind. And you say, deal, I'll tell you. I'll let you in on a secret. My wife and I have a deal. The deal goes like this. She has been on me for a while to regularly go to the gym and to be physically active and to have my health intact. So she said, listen, every day you go to the gym, if it's seven days a week, we can have happy time. <laughs> I said, say that again. She said, every, every day if you go to the gym, I'm yours. I said, this is a good... This is a good deal right here. I've never had this much control of this. And let me tell you, it works wonderfully. I think sometimes she wishes she, wishes she hadn't cut that deal. But this is fantastic. Now, that may not be the deal that you need to strike. 
But my, my, my point to you is this, it's, 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 it's important enough to, to, to sit down and talk about it. You have to incentivize it, fine. I mean, there's unhealthy measures of that. There's, there's places where you shouldn't go with that. But whatever you have to do, and guys, we'll talk about this next week. Some of you need to step it up. Some of you guys are the problem. Some of you guys are the problem. But we're talking to the ladies today. This is what you need to know about sex and romance from the male perspective because it's very important to him. It's very important to your longevity. And last, last but not least here, what women, oh, I'm sorry, what men wish women knew about domestic bliss. Domestic bliss, that's the, um, the authors of uh, His Needs, Her Needs, that's how he puts basically peace and quiet, okay? Domestic, <laughs> and you chuckle because you know where I'm going with this. Peace and quiet. Some of you ladies, listen, I'm just, don't look too happy with me right now. And I hope you, I hope you take this for, for, for what it is. Listen, I didn't write this stuff. If you, if you disagree with me, that's one thing. If you just, right now, you're just feeling like this is a lot to take in, that's, that's acceptable. But I just want you to just sort of relax and, and take this stuff at face value. And please come back next week because it'll, it'll, be, it'll be his turn, I promise. And we won't pull any punches, guaranteed. What men wish women knew about domestic bliss, listen, it's, it's unspeakably important to a man to have the place where he lays his head to be a place of peace and quiet. And frankly, what peace and quiet means from, may vary from one guy to the next. But generally speaking, a man, when he comes home, he wants to know that this place is a place of refuge, from all of the stuff that exists on the other side of that front door. All the work, all the bosses, all the TPS reports, all the employees that he has to manage, the traffic, all of the junk of the outside world, that man wants to know that when he comes home, I'm not talking about you having his slippers ready and a warm you know, glass of milk. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that man really values, he needs, peace and quiet in his home. He's a tranquil environment. He needs to know that he's not going to have to fight people out there and then have to come home and fight people on the inside of his house. He needs to know that the turbulence that exists on the outside is not going to be met by equal or greater turbulence when he comes home. Now, this, this, this principle is true regardless of what your family situation is. As many of you know, I am the stay-at-home dad. I work, I'm employed by the church for, uh, part-time, but I, my, I, I stay home with my kids uh, for the most part. I'm the primary take care, caretaker throughout the week. And guess what? This principle doesn't budge in my book. It's the same. When my wife comes home or when I come home from doing what I, I, just, I want it to be a tranquil environment. I want it to be a tranquil Environment. Why is this important? Because we want to be happy to come home. We want to look for, listen, I look forward to going home most days. But oftentimes there are situations, there are open-ended conflicts that haven't been resolved yet that I'm just not excited about dealing with. There are moods sometimes that my wife is in. Again, I'm, I'm talking to the women today. I'll, I'll deal with my stuff next week. That just makes me really not excited to go home. And that's just a reality of being married to another person, right? Some of that just comes with human life. 
two people who are wired differently, two people who, have, who see things from very different vantage points. That's just a byproduct of it, and you'll need to get used to that because that's, that's, that's what happens when you move in with somebody else. But much of that we can help. Much of that we can help. As I've been reading these books this week, I've just been uh, amazed at how when I'm thinking about it, how I respond differently in an effort to be loving to my wife, knowing that that's her primary need, to feel loved, to respond in a loving way. I want to say one thing, and I go, man, that's, that's not what the author said to do. Let me try this. And wow, that worked. But it was hard. But I'm going to say this also. Even with all this information swirling around in my head, all of these books, I'm reading like three or four books right now, uh, in preparation for this series. All this information that I had in my head, do you know on many occasions this week, I completely disregarded it and said what I wanted to say and responded how I wanted to respond. That's me doing what I want to do rather than what I should do. And this really messes with the domestic bliss because we're doing what comes natural to us when we shouldn't do what comes natural to us because our natural defaults are sinful and selfish. Our natural defaults are far from God's ideal. Our natural defaults really mess with our longevity as a couple, really screw up a marriage, which really screws up kids, which really screws up their kids, and on and on and on and on and on again. Proverbs talks about this. It's better to live alone, Proverbs says, in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Amen to that. Continues, it's better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome, complaining wife. Quarrelsome, complaining wife. And lady, I, ladies, I want you to ask yourself today, are you contributing to your domestic bliss? And I want you to hear me today. I want you to hear me today, and I want, to ask you, I want you to answer this honestly. Are you contributing to the dom- domestic bliss? In short, are you fun to be around? Are you somebody that you would want to be around? Will you survey the makeup of your husband? How he's wired? How to communicate with him? How to diffuse conflicts? Are you somebody that's easy to be around? Are you somebody that's fun to be, be around? Are you somebody that somebody would rush home to be with? Now, I don't want you to answer out loud because I want you to answer honestly on this one. But I can't stress the importance of what domestic bliss means to a man. Now, regardless of how this rubs you, particularly if it's rubbing you the wrong way, ask yourself this, would you rather know or not know? Right? Would you rather know or not know how we think, how we're wired, what it takes to make us happy, what it makes what it takes to make us not wait to be able to come home. And the big picture is this, ladies, that what we need is very simple. It's not easy to give us, but it's very simple. We need respect. We need due regard for who we are, how we're wired, our feelings, our thoughts, our wishes. We need respect and how you talk to us and your disposition and your deeds. We need that. We crave that. We're wired for that. Secondly, we need sex and romance. That's how we feel loved. That's how you communicate to us that we're desirable. It puts fuel in our tank. It it, it, it keeps us safe from the attacks of the enemy and the things that we deal with in the world around us. 
We require, we crave domestic bliss, peace, and quiet. And I'm asking you, when you consider those things, are you helping or hurting your domestic situation? Are you respecting that man as God commands you to unconditionally, whether he deserves it or not? Are you care a great deal about his sexual, physical needs and how he views you and how he reviews that aspect of your marriage? Are you creating an environment in your home that's peaceful and it's relatively quiet, which is what that man craves? Now, some of you have failed this exam miserably, and that's okay. That's okay. Because you're married to that person forever, and you have their whole life to get it right. <laughs> My challenge to you is, you know, don't wait, okay? Some of you need to have a conversation tonight or this afternoon. Maybe wait until after Agape so we're not grouchy over there. But some of you need to talk about these things. You need to talk about respect. Guys, you need to say, honey, I really feel disrespected when you say that. I really feel disregarded when you say that because she might not have a clue. She might not know. She might be on autopilot. You guys need to have a conversation about sex and romance. You need to level with her about how difficult it is for you. You need to make her aware, not in any sort of manipulative way, about the struggles that you face in the outside world. I let my wife know all the time. It was rough today. I need to spend some time with you, woman. That's not to say, hey, if you, 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 know, if you don't give it to me, I know I get some. You know, that's, not, that's not the goal. I might get put out if I say that. But it's to let her know that there's some real stuff out there that I have to contend with. And listen, listen, I stand a better chance if we're okay on this front. I'm going to the gym. Be ready for me when I get back. <laughs> Uh, that was inappropriate. <laughs> but, and, and lastly, uh, you know, the, on the domestic bliss front, listen, what are you, are you doing your part? I don't need to belabor this. You get, you get my message. And I hope you understand that everything I spoke today was spoken in love. Worship team, you can come up. Everything that I spoke to you was spoken in love because I want you to make it. Yes. Your kids need you to make it. And not just barely sort of limp through the finish line. They need you to make it, make it. Like really make it. And I have a lot of hope for the marriages in here. I know Satan's at work. I know he's trying to tear it down. I know he's trying to beat you down. But as long as you don't quit, you're all right. As long as you don't quit, you're all right. If you need to buy a book, buy a book. You need to hire a counselor, hire a counselor. You need to get a third... Uh, um, objective party in the mix to have some discussions about these things, do it. But more than all that, do your job, ladies. Do your job. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your truth. It cuts us. It puts a mirror in front of us. It shows us some unflattering things, Lord, but it's all because you want us to be whole and healed. That means nothing broken and nothing missing, Lord. And Lord, Satan has gone to work on some of these marriages. And Lord, we know a great number of these marriages were doomed from the start because of our family history, because of poor examples that we've had before us, or because of the baggage that we've drug into this marriage, past relationships, past sexual encounters, disappointment, 
messed up expectations. Some of us will doom to fail. But we look, Lord, we know that your power and your presence and your truth gives us power to do what we're supposed to do. Power to slam the door on, the, uh, on all the places where the enemy wants to come in and corrupt our marriages, corrupt the fabric of our love for one another, mess up our kids through broken families. Lord, Satan wants to do that, but your power, you are, you're bigger than that. You're stronger than that. And Lord, I just ask that your spirit will fill each and every person. Encourage us, Lord, to stay the course. Lord, challenge us to get off our backsides and do what you called us to do. Challenge us, Lord, to love the, the husbands that you've given us, Lord. We pray against the spirit of offense that might cause us to bristle at the truth. And Lord, I just pray that the oil of your presence would just flood over us today. We thank you in advance, Lord, for the fruit of godly marriages. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.